For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Tune in as we discuss prepping our kids for school, IEPs, and transitions. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about education, school, transitions, that sort IEPs. of IEPs. Yes, yeah. a little bit. Well, yeah. <laughs> so we are talking about this in our Work to Be Done series because I want to kind of look at this from the perspective of what can we do in terms of advocating for our child in school when it comes to the IEPs or just prepping our children for school just in general. And I was to say, and it's not something necessarily to only be like taken lightly as far as kind of brushed aside. I mean, this is, I mean, this is school. It's, I mean, important. So it's something you definitely want to take the time to make sure that everything is ready to go. You know what you're being advocating for and you have everything kind of in place before you actually even start. Now, I will give a disclaimer here at the beginning. Matt and I have actually decided to homeschool our children. And the reason we've decided to homeschool our children is mostly because of their really specific needs. So our children, they, as you know, have autism, but we also have that kind of gifted and talented portion. So our oldest child taught herself to read at two. She's already doing math. Like she's really advanced for her age. And because of that, we don't really feel like there is really a good place for her at our local school system. They don't even have a gifted and talented program or anything like that. Right. And then on the the other side, so she would be advanced in that category. But then as far as the bulk of other things as far as any type of social interaction, any type of circle time, any type of transition, there's the real struggle there. So it would kind of be a struggle for her on that level. So we're not sure it would really be in line at any place with her peers. Yeah, we, we've we tried really hard to make it so that it would work for her. I have gone through the IEP process. I've gotten an IEP for her. But despite all of that, I still just don't feel comfortable with the school being able to meet her specific needs because she is such a unique case. But I do know that having that like gifted autistic child is not the norm. That's usually the outlier. Our youngest child is probably more of the IEP type, but even so, we kind of want to keep them together. So we are choosing to homeschool. But nonetheless, We did already look into all of this when we thought we weren't going to homeschool, so we still have tons of stuff to talk to you about. And I was going to say, even our prepping for school started well before they were even of school age. I mean, they're still not Before they were even born, let's be serious. Well, I mean, right. (laughs) But I mean, if you think about if you're technically counting the child find, I mean, that was at what, 18 months or so before? I mean, that kind of kicked off this, this whole thing. So, I mean, that was us engaging with the school system when we were kind of concerned, potential red flags. I mean, and we've talked about that through uh, season one, two, and three. 
we kind of been involved with the school system, I mean, pretty much from the very beginning. Yeah, the youngest one's been involved with the school system since she was like 11 or 12 months old, because that's when she got her first evaluation for autism, where they were kind of like, well, she's too young, but we're going to keep an eye on her. Right. And that's what I was going to say. So, I mean, so prepping for school can actually start, I mean, a year, (laughs) (laughs) four four years before they're even actually going to like kindergartens. I mean, if you are, I mean, obviously seeing red flags, as we mentioned in the previous seasons, I mean, first step as far as like prepping for school, making sure that you're getting the child fine kind of in place. You're having these discussions. You're kind of finding the best avenue, prepping them for school, taking the right steps, kind of lining them up for success. They both have gone to essentially a school-like environment. I mean, we call it school. It's technically like full-time therapy four days a week, but it's kind of like a school setting. It's what we like to call pre-preschool because it's kind <laughs> it's of like- the easiest way to kind of explain to people outside of the close-knit community. It's kind of like a therapeutic preschool that preps your kid for being able to go into school. So it gives them that extra time to learn about circle time and just all the skills that you need in order to be successful in school. And it's a very, very small environment. So like for our oldest daughter's first year, I think she had, what, two classmates? Yeah. And it was like two or three therapist teachers. So, I mean, it was basically one kid to one adult working on a very granular set up for basically doing circle time, doing activities, kind of going through like snack time. So kind of like small little activities that you would kind of find in your typical like preschool environment. From our experience there and just what we've done through the school system itself for preparation for kindergarten and the IEP and all that, I'll just share with you some of the things that I've learned so far and hopefully it'll be helpful. But the first thing that I noticed was having to deal with the transitioning part. I think for us, especially with the oldest, the younger one has no real issues with transitions, but the older one, she struggles a lot with transitions. And in particular with school, this has been a very specific challenge she's been having lately. Yeah. And it's it's still ongoing tonight. We're struggling with a little bit of a transition for bedtime as well. So yeah, primarily just the oldest one, but even the youngest one sometimes if not necessarily transitioning from activities, but transitioning from if she's not able able to have something, she'll kind of try and recreate it for herself, if that makes sense. So if we're basically saying like, oh, no, no ice cream or something, she'll find a toy and pretend that it's ice cream to try and like- She kind of like self-accommodates, really. Right. So it's like she's kind of trying to like pretend that she has it in a sense. So I'm not sure if that is kind of a similar transition or if that's She kind, kind of-, of self-accommodates. So the younger one does better with transitions because she knows how to self-accommodate and kind of meet those needs herself, even though she's still frustrated. The older one hasn't figured that out. So she just goes into full-blown meltdown mode. But we're talking about transitions because for us, it's been really important because it's a really difficult area for us. And when it comes to school, one of the difficult parts of that is the spring breaks, summer breaks, winter breaks. You get all these periods of time where you're not in school and then you have to transition your kid back into school. If you're with a kid who has never been to school before, there might just be the general transition difficulty of going from, oh, I've never had to go to school to suddenly now I have this routine I have to get used to. Right. In her school, I mean, granted, it's short days, but it's consistent four days a week. Any type of significant break in that schedule leaves her open for inconsistency where she's just kind of like, 
okay, this is not the normal routine that we do today. So she's kind of just almost lost a little bit. And then, of course, when we reintroduce, okay, we're going back to school, then we're trying to struggle with the transition the other way. So it kind of transition as in we're not going to school and then transition that we are going to school after some of these breaks. And I mean, you've experienced a lot more than I have as far as how transitions are working at school as well. And honestly, with COVID, it has been very difficult because under COVID, any little thing cancels school. So it has been really difficult trying to teach them like the routine when the routine is constantly getting disrupted. So one of the tools that we have worked with, and I've mentioned this in other episodes, is using and depending on social stories. So we actually had her teacher come up with a social story that would help her transition from her old classroom to her new classroom, because when she graduated up a level, she couldn't let go of the routine of going to the other classroom. And it's different, like they're color coded. So she was used to going to the blue room. Now she's going to the green room. And that would lead to a meltdown every single time I would drop her off because she didn't want to go to the new school or the new class. So social story really helped out there where we kind of laid out, this is where you used to go. This is where you're going to go. You'll still be able to have the same circle time and friends and things like that. And social stories helped a lot for her. And then we also did transition item that helped for her. For her, it was wet wipes because she loves wet wipes. So I know, right? That burns, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. I basically kept a package of wet wipes in the wagon that would bring her in. And right before class, when she started to melt down, I would get a wet wipe and I'd be like, hey, if you take a deep breath, you can have the wet wipe and you can bring it to class. And the teacher's like, yeah, you can bring it. So sometimes having a transition item as well as this transition social story helps. You raise a good point as far as having the transition item. Sometimes it's, you don't want to pick the bat. I mean, as far as like a battle, it's like, okay, I don't want my child to bring a toy or something to whatever activity they're going to. But at the same time, it's like, well, what does it hurt? So I mean, her having a wet wipe, it doesn't impact anyone. And it helps to make the transition much more smooth where she's not having any issues. I mean, I I would definitely kind of support that until she feels comfortable where she no longer needs it. I mean, I'm not sure if she still needs a wet wipe when she's going into class at this point because we're wrapping up kind of the school year now. But ultimately, I would, I mean, I would say even if it's something small or you can get them excited in any specific way for the activity, I would definitely say go for it. I mean, you have nothing to lose. The other thing that helped with her transitions was singing songs and nursery rhymes. So for her, whenever she had to move from one activity to another, it's like she really didn't want to engage. She would start to melt down. But for her specifically, she's really attracted to songs and stories. So that's why the social stories worked out great. But also, if you set the instructions to a tune of what we're doing or that we're finishing something up, that makes it more fun for her. And she's more likely to do it without a meltdown. So we pretty much use songs all the time when we're transitioning, like to take her to the car, to take her to the school, to take her home from school. Have you noticed that she's kind of a bit of like a troll? Like she'll like make jokes about like the singing. So you'll be like singing a song like, oh, we're going to go do this, this activity. And then with the same tune that you've said, she'll be like, no, we're not or something, something along <laughs> those times where it's like the opposite of what like we're trying to do. Yes. But it's like she can like kind of she picks up on the idea of like, oh, I can sing back kind of what I want to do as well. She I mean, has started to sass us a little bit. <laughs> right. We'll be like, let's go to school. And she's like, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's hard, it's hard not to laugh and be like serious because obviously we don't want to like reinforce and her, her pushing back and uh Yeah. But But honestly, the fact that she can push back is a good thing. Like if she's pushing back through song, that means she's not melting down, right? Like that means she is with us in that moment. 
Whereas if she's in a meltdown, she's like in a completely other universe, just not able to process what we're saying at all. So I prefer that a lot more because at least we're engaging in some sort of like dialogue. Sure, that's true. And I mean, we used to use like the visual schedule. And I think that worked for the most part because it it seems like she was in control of the activity that was about to take place. So like she would move the little piece for going to school to like the completed and then we would go to school. So I think it basically like sets the stage for I'm in control of like what we're doing for the day. This is my schedule. I move the sticker. Therefore, I am moving myself. Right. So I think, I mean, my mindset is like, okay, she must hopefully think if I'm understanding her correctly, that by her moving that piece, she is kind of moving her in a sense, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like it's like giving her the power in a sense. So we have the visual schedule and on that schedule, we have the different things that she has to do throughout the day, like getting dressed, brushing her teeth, things like that. And we had one piece on there specifically dedicated to going to school. And then we had another one for when she got home from school. And so we made sure that she put that piece before we went to the car so she would know we're going to school. And that school, if she was having a particularly difficult time, we might have like a little a little pencil box that has Velcro on it and you can put other visual pecs on there. And if you have additional transition struggles, like getting her in and out of the car seat, that was a difficulty. Then we could use that one on the fly. So she could use that visual schedule in the car. It's just a little pencil case with Velcro on the top. And then on the inside, you can stick all the little pictures that you want. And then we would use that as a transition item. So that worked out pretty well. The other thing to note here is all these things that we're mentioning to you, you can work with your IEP team to develop all of this stuff as accommodations in the IEP. If your child's like us and needs like instructions in song form, our IEP team actually said that's something we could put on the IEP, which is great because I, I love forcing <laughs> teachers to have to sing. I was going to say, I just think of like a, like a big, like strong, like uh, teacher having, <laughs> having to sing like- The gym teacher? Yeah, like the twinkle, twinkle. Put your like, gym socks. <laughs> we are going to the field. <laughs> I don't know. It's just funny to me. That, oh, that's great. But. See, if I was the kid, I would totally sass them. I'd be like, ah, 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 didn't do it in song. <laughs> Uh, also, Imagine the power trip. <laughs> I was going to say, it also tests the uh, the teacher's patience as well. Like, how well can they sing? I know, right? With all these other kids. I'd be like, well, well, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, it, there's really like unique things that you can put in an IEP. If you haven't gone through an IEP process before, really getting to know your team and getting comfortable to voice your opinion is important. You just need to know that the IEP is run essentially by you. Like you're an equal business partner. It's not a team of people who get to decide what happens to your child. It's you deciding with this team what happens to your child. You have an equal say. So just make sure to feel like comfortable in your own skin and speak up if you feel like your child's not getting their needs met. There's a bunch of things that you can work into the IEP. If you needed like your child to sit like in the front of the classroom, sometimes they have like, I think in some cases, like kind of like a wiggle chair or like something for them to like kind of sit on so they can kind of rock back and forth a little bit. I've heard in some instances, you're able to have like a small little like toy, comfort toy of sorts. I almost think of like those little like, uh, what are they called? Fidget spinner things? Fidget? Fidget? Yeah, like a fidget spinner? Yeah, yeah. So I I think of like, there are a bunch of like little things that you can piece together to try and accommodate as best as possible. So I mean, I would definitely consider your options. And I mean, if you have a advocate or if you are advocating for yourself, just kind of know that you are able to request these things. 
And if you guys want to hear more in depth about the IEP process and what goes through all that, just let us know in the comments at Autism Wish somewhere. And I'll take a look to see if we make an episode dedicated specifically to that, if that's something you guys want to hear. The IEP process is basically like you just go through the, the process with all the paperwork where they get to know your child, you get the evaluation done, all that. And then you are basically focusing on accommodations specifically that help on an educational setting. So if it's something like learning how to properly eat with your spoon or something like that, unless it's something that they're going to need to know at school, like they have a cafeteria and they need to feed themselves at school, then they're not really going to target that. So you have to form your IEP in a way that is specifically targeting educational and functional goals that apply specifically in a school setting. Well, that makes sense because it'd be given to the individual teacher. And then obviously like during like lunch, that's kind of like with like the, I don't know you would call them, the hall monitors or the... <laughs> cafeteria. People. I don't know what it is nowadays. I don't, I don't know. School's used to, changed so much. It used much. to be like the teacher would take you down to the cafeteria and then like they wouldn't obviously stay with you. They would kind of wait until after you finish lunch and recess. So, um, but yeah, focus on getting off topic. <laughs> focus on, <laughs> I guess, like the teacher component, not necessarily like extracurricular people. <laughs> <laughs> I think schools changed so much from when we were there that honestly, none of this would be familiar to us anymore. I guess that's true. The great thing about the IEP is that you are able to change it. You can test it out. And if it's not working out for your kid, you can always call for another meeting and get things adjusted. Typically, that stuff takes a lot of time, though. Like, you basically have to request it right away. And it could be a while before you get that meeting because they're always, like, high in demand. But it is flexible in that sense. But when you are advocating for your child in the IEP, just make sure that you're advocating for the best that you can get for your child. Don't feel intimidated. If you do, just get somebody who perhaps is a specialist, like an advocate, to come with you during those meetings. You can actually hire somebody to come with you and help you advocate if you feel like you're the type of person that can get easily kind of like steamrolled. Because sometimes some school systems, at the end of the day, it's a dollar. They have a budget that they're working with and every accommodation can cost money. And at the end of the day, the school is probably going to be looking out for their wallet rather than your child. So it's on you as the parent to advocate for your child. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, there are a ton of professional advocates that you can hire to help you with these meetings. Yeah, you raise a good point because this is federally funded. So, I mean, they're getting additional funding for your child, essentially. So, I mean, of course, from the perspective of the school, they want to try and keep costs down so they're able to kind of maximize as far as potential budget and growth for the individual school itself or whatever extracurricular activities they've got going on. But, I mean, if your child needs more resources, I mean, I wouldn't be shy to ask. I mean, I'd definitely go in there. I wouldn't say guns a-blazing, but full force. I don't know what other accuracy. Well, I mean, you are legally entitled to these accommodations for your child. Like, I mean, right. not literally everything that you want, but you're entitled to reasonable accommodations. If you want more information about that, look up the IDEA Act, IDEA, look up FAPE, F-A-P-E. These are actual laws on the books that the schools are required to essentially make your school environment as accessible as possible so that your child has equal access as any neurotypical child. So you do have rights and you don't need to feel like the school is not willing to work with you. If you ever feel that way, it's more likely than not that the school is doing something illegal. So hire an advocate to help you out. And they might even tell you if you need a lawyer or not, because it can get to that point. Start off slow, just go in, go to the meeting, do the best you can, go from there. 
Yep. And I think making sure that your child is actually not just seen as kind of the IEP or having the teachers and principal and everyone kind of see beyond that. So they actually see your child as the individual that they are with their own characteristics. And it's not just the IEP. The downside to having an IEP or a child who has a disability in school is that sometimes the teachers and the classmates might just see your child as a diagnosis. A teacher is going to know when there's a child in their class that needs certain accommodations because they obviously have to abide by those accommodations. But what can sometimes happen is they see your kid as like, oh, this is Johnny. Johnny's the one who has autism. He needs X, Y, and Z. And instinctively, they will see Johnny as the autistic child, not through any fault of their own, but just because they are legally obligated to comply to these things. So they're going to be kind of paranoid about it. What we want to do and what we've tried to help with is provide teachers and other caregivers with a resource to help personalize and humanize your child so that when you do have Johnny in school, the teacher knows a little more about Johnny beyond just the IEP. Because the IEPs tend to focus on what's quote unquote wrong with your child or what they struggle with. And it doesn't do a great job of showing what they're good at, what they like, things that make you really get to know the child. Right. And I know in the dad's group that this has kind of been kind of one of the major topics that they keep pushing more or less. They kind of hate the idea of like the school systems and hear a lot of struggles with basically like the kid feeling left out either with peers or like the teacher. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories where the kid is kind of being pushed to the side a little bit by the teacher. And I mean, obviously we don't want, of course, any of that to happen, but we want to make sure that you are able to hopefully build some type of rapport with the teacher. So you are on good terms with them. So then they do go the extra mile if there's something that they can do to kind of help. So if for some reason, little Johnny is struggling to, I don't know, find the correct page or something in like a book or something, and the teacher's able to kind of go over and kind of assist really quick just before they start like their reading assignment. So just like little small things that they might not be instructed to do, but they kind of go the extra mile just because they they like Johnny. They, they have good rapport with you, the parent. So they are more willing to help versus kind of like, well, I don't need to do that. It's not written in the IEP that I do X, Y, and Z, but they're more willing to because you, you actually create a good relationship with the teacher. And so one of the things that we've created as a resource to help you guys out, if you go on our website and go to autismwish.org and you kind of scroll to the middle of the page and subscribe to our email newsletter, you will, within about a minute to five minutes, you'll receive a, I think it's like a seven to eight page document. I think so. Seven pages. And it's a principle and it's something that you can essentially just staple and bring to your teacher or bring to your class. And this is a, what I like to call student introduction portfolio. And it's essentially exactly what it sounds like, a student introduction. It's a document with different areas that you can fill out about your child to help your teachers and caretakers get to know them on a more personal level. So it has things like their likes and dislikes, maybe things like their favorite color or food, just things to get to know them a little better. And then there's areas where you can talk about their oversensitivities, their undersensitivities, a little bio about them. It's just a way to personalize your kids so that when they get this little pamphlet, they get this document in their hands, they get a more thorough, well-rounded understanding of who your child is rather than, oh, this is my kid, the autistic one. Yeah, and I think that that resource is a great first step. So uh, beginning of the year, bring that in to introduce your child to the teacher. And then from there, that kind of opens the door to additional conversations that you can have with the teacher to continuously develop rapport with them and just build a great relationship between you and the teacher. 
honestly, when it comes to prepping your child for school, this episode could just go on and on because there's just so much that you can do from talking to your child personally on a one-on-one and telling them what they can expect to perhaps giving them a tour of the school beforehand. I know that some schools will allow you to do that where you can bring your kid in and walk them around where their classrooms are going to be. Perhaps they can meet their teachers in advance. You could probably just ask your school and see what they have available as kind of like an accommodation in terms of just prepping them for physically going to the school. Yeah, and I would definitely say get in touch with the the counselor, any type of aide or your advocate and kind of see what options are even out there. And then you can get started on the right foot, especially if you're doing the tour. (laughs) (laughs) Womp womp. My joke for the night. (laughs) So our best advice essentially is just to make sure that you are giving your kid ample notice using social stores or anything to basically create that routine that they will probably be craving and to prep them in advance so they have an expectation in their mind. And then make sure that you are kind of keeping an eye to see how they're reacting when they get home from school. If your child's nonverbal, they obviously won't be able to communicate with you, but you can probably tell from their behavior if they're coming home frustrated, anxious, if they're becoming more violent and aggressive, or if they're coming home more chill and relaxed, you probably can get a little bit of a vibe of what's going on at school. Hopefully from there, you can kind of take these and make shift your own approach and you'll be off and running. Again, if you guys are interested in learning more about the IEP or any of these topics, just let us know on Facebook or Instagram at Autism Wish and we will do that for you. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next time. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Bye. Bye. In today's episode, we discussed how using social stories can help prepare your child for the transition to school. We also note that it's important for you to speak up for your child during IEP meetings and to consider hiring an advocate if you feel uncomfortable or need assistance. Lastly, we note how touring the school beforehand, meeting the teachers, and providing them with the student introduction portfolio can help establish a level of comfort for your child before they head back to school. Tune in to our next episode as we discuss making friends for ourselves and our children and answer questions such as, how do I help my child navigate friendships? What should I do if my child seems uninterested in friends? And how do I develop friendships as a parent when my schedule seems impossible? This is Embracing Autism.